disclosure, I'm very nervous and I feel like Britney Spears with this thing, so um, I promise not to sing them. Okay. So when I was asked to give a devotion tonight, my first question was, what's the topic? And uh, Pete being Pete, gave me, some, gave me some nice and light, the image of God. So my mind instantly went to the creation account, of which we're all probably familiar. On the first day we have God creating the heavens, the earth and light. On the second day he, cre- he created the separation between the waters and heaven. On the third day he separated the waters from land and he created plants and vegetation. On the fourth day he created the sun, the moon and the stars. On the fifth day he created all the animals, those on the land, those in the sea and those in the air. All of these he created in five literal days. We're all familiar with the text. And all of these, after he created them, he declared them to be good. But then we get to the sixth day of the creation account. And things got a bit different. He says, in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, he says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the, over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the first thing we notice here is the conversational nature of these few verses. Notice the let us and the in our image. See, what's happening here is a kind of conference of sorts between the members of the Holy Trinity regarding the creation of man. Another thing we notice in, is that the creation of man is unique in that it is, the only, it is the only creature described in scripture as ever having been made into the image of God. So what does this term mean? What does it mean that we are made in the image of God? Does it mean that we are little gods, tiny versions of the Almighty, as some false teachers on TV might have you believe? No, no, and again I say no. I was going to thump the pulpit there, but I thought I'd better not. So we are not little gods. Okay, don't believe the lie, we are not little gods. But what it does mean, and how the original audience understood this text, is that man is like God, and man represents God. We have been made similar to God. And as I looked into this idea of us bearing this image of God, I found no shortage of information. It seems that every theologian and his dog has a list of aspects of our existence that point to the divinity, to the um, divine image. A few of them that I'd like to point out to you are as follows. Our sense of morality. Unlike other creatures, we have a distinct sense of right and wrong. We can make decisions based on this morality for better or for worse. We were created by God who is righteous and who he himself is the epitome of moral perfection. We have mental ability. We are able to reason logically, obviously some of us better than others, um, To quote Wayne Grudem, I love this one, Wayne Grudem says, No group of chimpanzees will ever sit around the table arguing about the doctrine of the Trinity or the relative merits of Calvinism or Arminianism. That That kind of thing is reserved for us, image bearers of God. So we were created by God who is omniscient, he knows everything, and whose laws of nature themselves are precise as they come. And another thing of our existence that points to our image bearing, our, our, us bearing the image of God is the fact that we're relational. The depths of our relation, relational, interpersonal relationships with each other are far deeper than what we see in the animal world, as we've heard here. 
today. We were created by a relational God. God is so relational. He exists in three, in the Trinity. He's a relational God. So these are just a few, a few ways that we can see this image of God stamped upon our lives. In the creation account, God clearly singles out man for an exclusive role. But is it possible that the likes of the revered Sir David Attenborough could be wrong? Is it possible that the hierarchy of creation does not stem from some Darwinian nightmare of survival of the fittest, but rather finds itself in some kind of mandate from God? The answer I found is clearly in the text that I've just read. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This privilege, and it is a privilege, this privilege of bearing the image of the Almighty comes with a great responsibility. We were created in the image of God to rule over creation and indeed to represent God here on the earth as an ambassador would represent his country. But we all know what happened next, don't we? In Genesis 3, we have sin and the fall. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God and they sinned against him, leading to them being banished from Eden and being separated from communion with God. So does this mean that once sin entered the world, that we, became, we, 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 lost our, the, we lost our right to be image bearers of God? Did we suddenly lose God's image? No, more like we became like a cracked mirror, a cracked or tarnished mirror. We still reflected God's image, but it was, just, it was marred by sin entering into the world. Evidence of this we see after, not after the flood. Um, God lays down the punishment for taking off human life. Genesis 9, 6, God says... Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So the reason why in this verse, the reason why murder requires the life of the murderer is not so much that killing itself is horrible, but the fact that taking the life of someone who bears the image of God is what's horrible. So even after sin and the fall, even after our rebellion, the fact that God has endowed us with his image, it's that that makes us valuable in his sight. Having said that, the image that we have has been severely distorted. The moral purity that our our first parents had has been defiled and our sinful hearts do not echo the holiness of God. King Solomon sums sums up our predicament as as Steve has pointed out in uh, Ecclesiastes 7.29. He says, See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. So what hope is there for us as a bunch of cracked and tarnished mirrors? The good news for us is that when we repent of our sins and put our faith and trust in Christ alone for our salvation, we're given a new heart and a new nature. The 50 cent theological word for that is regeneration. What that means is we come to hate the sin and rebellion against God that we once loved. And we come to love the law and the holiness of God that we once shunned. Paul says in Colossians 3.10 that we have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So the image that our first parents were endowed with which was corrupted by the fall is renewed. We grow in our love for God and his word and we begin to to think more like God in our thinking. So as we continue to grow in spiritual maturity as Christians we also grow in our likeness to Christ. Romans 8.29 is beautiful for this. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So there is hope for us, 
The text tells us so. Our conforming to the image originally given to man by his creator, it will come to pass. It's a done deal. So take heart. When you find yourself fighting sin, when you find yourself taking two steps forward and one step back, all genuine believers in Christ will have this image of God restored to them. Gradually, for sure, and never fully on this side of the law of life. But when Christ returns, it will be restored. So, how are, so that leaves us with the now. How are we to live with this reality that all mankind, both saved and unsaved, mind you, bear this image of their creator? Might I suggest that this reality should affect how we approach all kinds of issues that we come across in our day-to-day lives, from abortion to mental illness, from immigration to euthanasia, from murderers to Mormons, from the handicapped to the homeless, even down to that neighbour down the street that just gets on your nerves. Once we start to consider that all of us share this same image, we can't help but have our own personal pride crushed and to be humbled at the privilege that we have. We can't help but hope and pray and seek that just as our Lord extended mercy to us, the the bunch of cracked mirrors that we are, that he might not do the same for those whom we ourselves have perhaps up until now not had time for. So may we, as image bearers of our almighty God, seek his grace that we might live to glorify him in this broken world. Thank you.